0: The
1: Carmen and Yurko podcast is sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka. Check out the ESPN Chicago Games. Sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka at ESPNChicagoGames.com. Watch us compete against each other. Share memories and laughs, all for charity. Tito's Handmade Vodka celebrates 25 years. Cheers to you, Chicago.
0: Live from State Street and the old National Bank Studio is WMVP WSHE HD2 Chicago.
2: Now, back to more
0: Carmen Carmen, Yurka
2: on Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN 1000
0: and the ESPN Chicago app. A good karma brand's radio station.
1: Happy Hump Day. Carmen and Yurk, the good kid's off the rest of the week. He'll meet us in Dallas for Bears and Cowboys. We go down with White Claw to do the show live. Peggy's going to do it with me on Friday. The show that is uh, live at Twin Peaks, the Irving, Texas location on Marketplace Boulevard. If you're going, come by and see us on Friday. Then Yurk and Peggy will do the postgame show at the Grand Prairie Twin Peaks location outside of Dallas on Sunday. Mellor sitting in today and
3: tomorrow. Oh, to be the
1: good kid right now. He tees off, I think, he's got four rounds in Vegas with buddies. He got there last night. I think they tee off round one in like an hour.
3: Oh, Sounds like a a nice little uh, excursion in the middle of a football season. I tell you. the Hey, man, I'm not hating on him. I'm actually envious and wish I was him right now. A little 72-hour jaunt in Vegas and then meeting you guys in Dallas. That's perfect. I mean, (laughs) what a week he's got. That's beautiful.
1: From Vegas to Dallas, four rounds of golf at four beautiful courses. God knows whatever else they're going to do in Vegas. And then a Saturday night and a Sunday Bears game in Dallas, Texas. I could think of worse things.
3: And he got out of town just in time. He caught the uh, tail end sure. of the beautiful weather, and now it's a, a little nippy. Crisp, chill, autumnal, as you like to say, Carm, yes. autumnal air. There's so, uh, Yurko, soaking in the, the sun in Vegas. There's a nip in the air indeed. The World Series starts this weekend.
1: We are going to be talking to Nick Castellanos in like five minutes. He is supposed to call in. Jesse Rogers
3: doing great work as always. And, uh, when he's I, not breaking down a Bears game for two hours last night, filling in for Black and Abdallah, who had the uh, greenie shift yesterday. I Jesse, should be doing that. a man of call. all seasons. Yeah, he's a jack of all trades, master of none. But he
1: is <laughs> great at covering baseball in all seriousness. And he's always great when we ask for guests. And, Waddle and Sylvie wanted to talk to Castellanos, but he could only do it now. Mm. So Jesse called us in like 30 minutes ago and he goes, Would you guys talk to Castellanos? I said, Of course. Yeah. Why would we not talk to Nick Castellanos going to the World Series? Are you kidding? Waddle and Sylvie's loss is Carmen and Miller's game. Sometimes that's just the way it happens. Sure. You know, you try for a guest. I hey, can't do it. They're getting on a plane. They're getting ready, I think, to fly out of Philly like in the next, within the hour, going down to Houston uh, where they are going to start the World Series. So we'll talk to former Cub, and boy, was it brief. Nick Castellanos, we will. We're trying to think of the best way to ask him if he's aware of the Nick Castellanos bad timing thing that exists in baseball, sure. where a it broadcaster would... is talking about something sad or making an apology, and he seemingly hits a 500 foot home run every
3: time. Yes, these guys are talking whenever the about mood it. turns somber. You better not do it with Nick Castellanos at the plate because chances are he's going to interrupt it and put his own spin on it. And to the point where it's become a social media, uh, like all over, whenever something happens, you you see letters, people will take it and run with it. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, fake it with the Nick Castellanos with a long drive into left center. field. Now
1: it's become a thing where people just fake it. You're right. They're inserting it. Like, into moments that aren't actually happening because yes. it has taken on a life of its own. We are going to uh, ask him if he is aware of all that because he's I think he's kind of distant from social media. Just uh, oh, yeah. talking
3: to Jesse and like he, you were saying, he's got a flip phone. Yes. A couple of years ago, he ditched the smartphone and yeah. went to the flip phone. Interesting, and, and I think for a very mature and compelling reason. If all we if, we if we could all be so mature and say uh, you know what this phone's I, I, I uh, monopolizing too much of my time I'm not that mature I'm not I can tell you right now there's no way I the go convenience the phone. of the smartphone yeah, makes it hard to separate from it right and that but yeah. uh, kudos to him because he's done it and I think uh, so yeah we'll touch on that kind of an an interesting cat what it's like to be in uh, his first World Series and he's going
1: to play in a World Series so Castiano should be calling in any minute stick around for that. Uh, we were, uh, We are going to talk to Courtney Cronin in, in an hour. We'll get an update from Hallis. The news out of Dallas today, no Ezekiel Elliott at practice. Apparently a knee injury. Don't know how serious that is. Uh, Tony Pollard's probably the better running back at this point anyway. But I think that you'd say the two-headed monster is still scarier than just Tony Pollard. I mean, Zeke's found the end zone a lot this year. Combined, they have over 800 yards rushing. They have six combined touchdowns. They're dangerous together. Uh, again, I think Pollard's better. He averages like a full yard and a half a carry more. But uh, that would be benefit Bears if Ezekiel Elliott is banged up in his certainly
3: because unquestionably Pollard's a better runner right yeah. now. He's more explosive. But Ezekiel Elliott as a pass blocker mm. uh, is definitely leaps and bounds still better than Pollard there. And so it's harder to for opponents to know exactly what the Cowboys are going to do when Elliott's on the field. Generally, when Pollard's in the backfield, there's a pretty good chance he's Run. getting the ball. Yeah. and so But he's explosive, so that aspect of it is a problem for defenses. But also Elliott, when you get in close, he's yeah. still the guy, the hammer, who yeah. gets the ball near the goal line. So if for some reason he's not available for the Cowboys, you mentioned it, Carm, that is definitely a huge boom yeah. for the Bears. Yeah, he's still kind of their battering ram down near the goal line. A lot of times, uh,
1: Pollard does a lot of the work getting him around there. And then you saw that on display last week. If you saw the Cowboys play the Lions, which was such a strange game. I mean, you know, the Lions are going down uh, to take a lead in the fourth quarter and probably did, but the coach didn't throw the challenge flag. Then they coughed up the football on the goal line. And then over like the next eight (laughs) minutes, Dallas went down the field, scored. Then the Lions turned it over again in the game. I mean, it looked like a blowout. And literally, with twelve minutes to go in the game, Dallas scored a touchdown to take the, the lead, and the coach didn't throw the challenge flag. It the was Lions
3: led six three at halftime. Very bizarre. It was and, a strange game, and the you Cowboys know? go on to win twenty four to six. And like, how does that happen, Jared Goff? <laughs> Jared Goff. That's and how they're how it still happened. doing There's some still of the Jared the Goff things. So, and that, look, the Dallas Cowboys defense too is elite. It's you know, if not among, it might be the best defense in the NFL. Uh, it might be. So that that's going to be you know, I think the Bears' real problem on Sunday, is that you're going up against one of the best units in football. I got some numbers. We'll do it a little bit later in the show. Um, Just from a numbers standpoint. I mean,
1: they obviously pop when you watch them. Micah Parsons pops. uh, Diggs pops. And I think he's been better in coverage than he was a year ago. I mean, the numbers were very sexy last year. The takeaways they had as a team, they had 34 of them. That's a boatload. Um, You're due to regress in this league when uh, a crazy number like that happens. They're still on pace for 29. So. They're still taking it away, but for all of the sexy flash plays that we saw, his numbers in coverage were not good. He was torched regularly in coverage a lot last year. I feel like he's getting better in coverage, and he is getting better. So it's not just numbers strictly counting stats and some of the metrics. It's it, they, they still pop as a defense when you put them on. They do. I mean, Van looks healthy again and is sort of flying all over
3: the field the last couple of games. They're they're an intimidating group of defenders, no doubt. And Demarcus Lawrence looks healthy again. And by the way, their second round pick, rookie Sam Williams, had a couple sacks last week and looked absolutely explosive. So now, you know, he may be getting more run. He's another guy who, as an edge rusher, you know, it's hard enough to keep track of what exactly Micah Parsons is -hmm. going to do because he's one of the few guys who not only can get to your quarterback, but there's also the camouflage that the Cowboys can send out there where he could be. Could be covering oh, yeah. your back or your or your tight ends, you know,
1: and so he's They're not kidding. You saw that a couple times in the Lion game too. I went back and watched it. You're 100 percent right. I don't always love that. To me, it's like, why would Micah not be blitzing? But to your point, the camouflage is good, and there were moments, even on third down, where all of a sudden. And that I think is sometimes a strange look for a quarterback. It's one of those zone blitzes where now Micah Parsons is dropping into coverage, and uh oh, where do I go? And is there a free blitzer coming from somewhere else?
3: And the truth is, he's a, he's a good cover coverage linebacker too. He's just such a, a great athlete that he's a problem. And so you know, watching him, watch you know, be aware of where number eleven is. Uh, you know what? Be aware. I say that you will be you will not be able to avoid him no. because, like you said, he explodes off the screen unlike too many players on that side of the ball. not since I mean, he may be pushing his way into the point where, you know, everybody, when you're watching a Rams game, you can see Aaron Donald dominate yes. at the line of scrimmage on almost every play. Micah Parsons is starting to do that. Not that he didn't last year, but it was his rookie year. So there were still moments where, you know, you, he would get lost from time to time, even though he had an excellent rookie year. This year, every time you wa- I've watched the Cowboys game, yeah. I, I, I see noticeable. him popping off yeah. the screen.
1: It's like the Aaron Donald thing or like TJ Watt when he's healthy. You really can't go like consecutive snaps if you watch the Steelers when Watt's on the field without going, oh, wow. <laughs> like there's TJ. I mean, you realize I said, like, it's the truth. I mean, go, you just – it's every play. There's a relentlessness. There's skill. There's strength. There's power. There's everything. And you're just like, Jesus. TJ Watt's everywhere. You cannot go consecutive plays when he's on the field where you don't notice him. And I think you're right. Micah Parsons is sort of entering that stratosphere now where it's like, man, every play, this guy's got a chance to wreck you. The Lions have a good offensive line. The Lions have two bookend tackles that you can kind of put on an island and say, guys, do it. Decker and Sewell are really good. They went into that game last week with the best adjusted sack rate for an O-line in the NFL. They gave up five sacks. And I think at time, Sewell, Sewell did hold up relatively well because that's the matchup more often than not he's rushing over that left side more often than not but it's just like to your point the Bears don't have anything like those two guys and they still
3: found a way to kind of wreck the game at times in the second half for the Lions the truth is that this is probably not going to pan out but the fact that at this point in the season you know in as we enter week eight here there's been some conversations about Micah Parsons pushing into the MVP conversation. Now, we know that's generally yeah. a quarterback award. However, however, you look around, and, and Josh Allen's the one guy who right now stands out, and you We're say, okay, they're 5-1, and one, and statistically, he's putting up the numbers. But. In a season where you look around the league and there's some guys who are maybe... eh, Okay, maybe Jalen Hurts, if you want to throw him. Yeah. But Micah Parsons is pushing his way into that conversation.
1: All right, we'll get back to football. We'll talk to Courtney live at Hallis in about 50 minutes. But let's talk baseball right now. We were teasing it, and he's on the line with us. Uh, The World Series. You're going to catch all the games right here on ESPN 1000 starting Friday night from Houston. And we are pleased to say hello to... One of the great Philadelphia Phillies that have helped them get to this point. Nick Castellanos joins Carmen and Yurko on ESPN 1000. Nick, how are you? Congrats on making the series.
2: Thank you, guys. How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing well. Uh, what's the? You know, this is your third trip. You've been three different teams, three different cities in the playoffs. Uh, this is the deepest run you've made to this point. But what can you just tell us what that vibe has been like in Philly when you guys have been home here in the last couple of weeks? Because Uh, it's just exploding off the screen. I mean, you could feel it watching on TV. What's it been like for the home games in Philadelphia?
2: I mean, it's kind of really hard to describe it, man. Uh, The closest thing that I can say is maybe like a uh, European soccer game, you know, uh, or maybe like a playoff NFL game. But as far as baseball goes, definitely the most electric atmosphere that I've been a part of.
3: So have you gotten the celebration from Sunday out of your system, Nick? Are you guys all ready to go focused on Friday night's opener, or did you did you guys – I mean, you have. To, I have to imagine just based on what we saw, it looked like it was just a phenomenal party for the Phillies on Sunday.
2: It was, but, you know, believe it or not, it didn't last uh, too long. I think, you know, talking to all the teammates and stuff, everybody was pretty much at home uh, relaxing before midnight. Uh, so, you know, everybody kind of knows that we we accomplished something great in winning the pennant, but, um, you know, with Thompson and Kevin Long and, you know, our coaching staff that has been there so much, you know, they, they're they a heavy reminder that, you know, we're, we haven't accomplished uh, our ultimate goal yet. Obviously, we have one big series left.
1: How, how does this work, Nick? Like, how does this momentum thing work and start to build, and when did you guys start to feel like – um, yeah you know we didn't win 90 games or 100 games and maybe we're the underdog but we got a shot at this
2: well we all we all knew from the beginning just with the the amount of adversity that we that we face just as it as a team you know when the teammates were all together and we we're just talking we we're just like look we just we just got to get in you know uh, we just got to get in and then we know we're gonna take care of business that the character of this team is so great you know and there's so many guys that are unselfish and really aren't just saying the words of buying into a bigger picture that, you know, are really taking a back seat and putting the team first. And, um, you know, I think that that's, it's really paying off and everybody's in a gear that the world really is, is being able to see what happens when, you know, a, a group of guys come together and really are just are all working and pulling towards one direction. I think, and also with the veteran coaching staff that we have, they're doing an unbelievable job of not micromanaging. You know, they're they're really allowing the players to uh, run the show, so to speak, and like trust their instincts and go out and play baseball. And I think that's why we've been able to have success here in the playoffs.
1: Is that the biggest change from Joe Girardi? Is that something that Rob Thompson brought that maybe wasn't happening early in the season?
2: I think that with the managerial change, when when Rob Thompson kind of took over, he took over with, with no pressure and nothing to lose, right? Like, even in the beginning of the season, they weren't even introducing him as manager Rob Thompson. They are introducing him as interim manager Rob Thompson. Mm. So, like, when he took over, I don't think there was any expectations of he had to do something. I think that he was unbelievably prepared because he showed up for work each and every day underneath Joe uh Putting in all of the work, gathering all the information, you know, learning who his players were over time, you know, not including myself and Kyle. This is our first year here, but everybody else, kind of seeing the the way that all the young kids uh, developed and learned their personalities. So, like, when he took over, I think that he knew how to manage perfectly doing the bare minimum, right? right? And just kind of allowing, uh, putting players in the circumstances to, allow the best versions of themselves to come out. And I think that's what he's done so well.
3: Phillies right fielder Nick Castellanos joining us here on Carmen Yerko-Meller and for Yerko Today. All right, Nick, so you guys have the Astros, and coincidentally enough, you guys actually clinched your playoff berth against the Astros. Now, how weird is it now to see Mm -hmm. them on the other side of the uh, the field here as you're going to have to go ahead and try and beat them for a World Series title?
2: Not that weird because when we were over there, I think we were all aware that that's probably something that could happen because the Astros are an incredibly good baseball team, you know, and then obviously we knew our goal was to be able to get to the World Series. So we knew that meeting them in this case scenario was a very realistic expectation.
1: You guys were the last team to beat them. (laughs) I mean, they've, right? I think the, I don't think the Astros have lost a game since you guys beat them in that first game uh, against, I'm pretty sure they've won nine in a row. They're definitely uh, undefeated so far at this point in the playoffs. How cognizant, Nick, are you guys of the Astros past? Like the, the cheating scandal and like, are they maybe still cheating? Are you cognizant uh, of, you know, anywhere you go on the road these days in baseball? Like, does that roll around in your minds? And is there something you guys are doing to prepare? To make sure there is no funny business, there is no sign ceiling and stuff like that going on in this series.
2: I would say that if I if if it doesn't roll around in my mind, I'd be lying, right? You know, because you know, once somebody does something, once there's always a chance that they can do it again. Now that being said, I don't, I have no idea, you know, and I'm not making any assumptions. But you know, no one here is is stupid. You know, JT is an incredibly smart guy, so mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh, all of our Uh, him and the pitchers are going to be on the same page of you know not just putting any you know single sign down or taking anything like that for granted but I mean now with there's so much technology out there and in baseball right so like it's it's always inevitable pretty much anywhere that you can go so it's our our club has just done a good job of, of just being aware and um doing the best we can to make sure that everything we're doing is staying uh, in-house and maybe a little bit complicated so Hmm. no one else can really figure it out that easy.
3: Now Nick because the World Series starts on Friday I don't know how much of this you guys have actually observed but I can tell you working in the media it is clear that Philadelphia for once is going to I think outside of you know Southern Texas is going to have virtually the entire country behind a Philadelphia team because there is a lot of animosity towards the Astros, so in reality, I think the Phillies are going to be America's, America's team, team in this World Series. Have you guys thought about that at all?
2: Uh, I think that we're all aware of it. I don't think that we we don't sit around and like just you know gush over the fact that that we are America's team. But that being said, you know we appreciate all the love and, and support uh, that we get. You know, and I think that. Uh, country probably just relates with us because they could see how authentic uh, we are, you know, and how uh, we've come together and how we've, you know, faced adversity and how we're beginning or how we've, you know, uh, overcome it to get where we are. So they could probably relate to that.
1: Nick Castellanos for a few more minutes, joining us from the Philadelphia Phillies, Carmen and York on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. In your brief time here in Chicago, you were teammates with Schwarber, your teammates again. I believe this is already postseason series number eight for Kyle. He just seems to be one of those guys. Like, you'd look at it, I guess, Nick, and be like, he, he kind of is a winner. Um, he's not perfect, but he just helps teams win. He's got, I think, 12 postseason home runs already in his career. I know clutch is, like, sometimes kind of hard to define from an analytic standpoint, but there seems to be a clutchness about Schwarber. What do you think of him as a teammate?
2: Um you know, if you like winning, it's every he's everything really that you can want because he's always positive. He's uh, extremely consistent of his work, uh, and he's team first. You know, and um, you know, analytics don't measure character, and it's and it's hard to it's hard to measure that unless you really get to know and spend time with somebody over a long period of time. And I think that he's a high character individual. So you know, baseball gives you what you put in, and he puts in a lot. So it's not a coincidence that baseball rewards him uh, usually when, you know, the stakes are the highest.
3: Phillies right fielder Nick Cascianos joining us, getting set for his first World Series on Friday night. Nick, you still rocking the flip phone
2: these days? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so since since the birth of my son in May, I had to become an adult and get a <laughs> fucking smartphone again.
1: Why? Because you need but- the, pic- cause the pictures and stuff like that, or...
2: Uh, that also, you know, my, Jess, my wife doesn't come with me everywhere on the road cause she, uh, you know, has to be at home and be a mom and stuff. So, you know, I have to be responsible and like call Ubers and mm. set up my stuff and, you know, mm. and a smartphone kind of is, uh, necessary for that sort of thing. But I will say this, I, I love, I like my life so much better when I don't have this, Smartphone attached to my hitman. So who knows? Once once I once I get balance in my life again, and you know navigate and understand, you know being a father of two and everything, and I feel comfortable enough to be selfish enough to go back to <laughs> shutting out the rest of the world. I'm gonna do it,
3: Nick. Can I? Uh, I want to commend you though. You said I had to become an adult. However, I have to say, I thought. When I've heard your explanations about why you went back to a flip phone, I thought that was a very mature approach from every time I've heard you say it. And so, unfortunately, you're right. We're kind of living in a smartphone world where just the convenience of it, getting Ubers and sending photos to people, it makes it a necessity in some ways. But I always loved your approach as to not letting social media dictate your life and the screen time kind of monopolizing your time. So I want to say, even though you've made the switch back to the smartphone, I think it was adult of you to go back to the flip phone years ago.
2: Well, I will say this, even every... So I've I've gone to a flip phone twice. Once when I went through uh, a divorce. When I was going through my divorce in 2016, I took a time out and went to a flip phone. And then obviously this past year. And then every single time that I do that, I'm I'm better and better at, you know, controlling, like, like being in control of it. You know, I think that everybody is so numb to the fact that this thing is smarter than we are. So the worst thing that a curious mind can have is something that is more intelligent or can give out more information than that curious mind can process. So it ends up like really turning people into zombies Yeah. and it's kind of scary.
1: It's very thoughtful and mindful. We want to ask you one more thing before we, and then we'll spring you, but off of this, like the whole, you know, social media thing. And just because you have a smartphone doesn't mean you have to be addicted to social media. You don't strike us, and from what we've heard, is the kind of guy that is addicted to social media. But with that said, are you aware of what has happened over the years? It all started with the Tom Brenneman stuff in Cincinnati a couple years ago. Are you aware of, like, the social media phenomenon that has become, like oh, someone's apologizing or someone's telling a sad story and Nick Castellanos is up and he's hitting a 440-foot home run. And, like, it's kind of taken on a mind of its own on social media the last couple years. Do you know about this? Like, it's almost like the curse of Nick Castellanos.
2: Well, yeah, obviously I'm very aware of it. But I think that people are looking at it backwards, you know, they think that I hit home runs in, you know, tragic moments. I honestly think those – Moments that when these things happen are beautiful. You know, like Tom Brenneman is doing what? He's apologizing. He's recognizing that he did something wrong. You know? And he's expressing his sorrow and being humble. That's a beautiful thing for a human to be. You know, and then I end up hitting a home run that lands in a a fountain that's a judgment-free zone, you know? Yep. So I think that people are drawn to look at like the negative but you know really i think that it could have been a positive like how amazing would it have been if like the lgbtq community or whatever would have been able to see that and then understand that no one's perfect you know and really just drawn together to love and accept and like push for him to keep his job i don't know You know, and then obviously when, and then other eulogies and stuff, people are being celebrated for the life that they live. And then I happen to coincidentally honor them in that way. I don't know. You know, I always think that, I always think there, it doesn't always have to be viewed as a negative or a tragedy or something bad happening,
1: you know? It's a great attitude. You seem to be a positive person. Do your friends send you, like, stuff when they see it, or do they know better? Do they know who you are, the way you're wired, and do they kind of – do, do they do they ignore
2: it almost in a way? No, my, I mean, my – like – my close circle of friends, you know, know me and they give me a hard time and they send me all this, all this shit, you know, and, you know, we, we joke and we go back and forth. It's not like I'm a hermit and live in a hole. you know. Like I'm aware, like I'm aware of everything that, that goes on. I just really want, I just really pick and choose uh, and filter, you know, the information I care to absorb.
1: Nick, we, uh, we have a big rooting interest in you uh, I would say for the rest of the series. That's all we're going to say. Uh, go Phillies. Um, a bunch of us here. Yeah, kind I think of bought you, in listen, on the Listen, a lot of
3: Chicago Cubs fans are disappointed you oh, weren't able God. to conclude their journey with the Cubs. So they're rooting for you in Philly. I you, promise you that. You got a lot of fans here pulling for you in
1: Schwarber. That's for sure. So good luck. Go beat Houston. And we really appreciate the time. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. All right, Nick. There's Nick Castellanos. Pretty seems like a deep and latent guy. All right. We uh, will take a break. We're way late. Uh, we'll come back and talk about the interview a little bit, and we'll get back into football. Three one two three three one two three three two three seven seven six. If you want to join us, Mallers in for the good kid. It's Carmen and York. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Carmen and Yurko on ESPN 1000. Follow at Carmen D'Alco and at Yurko 64 on Twitter.
1: Carmen
2: and Yurko on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
1: We're going to have to turn around and take another break here in just a couple of minutes. Got a little bit off the clock. Well, we had a chance to spend some time with Nick Castellanos. As, uh, he prepares for his first World Series. Second go-around for Kyle Schwarber. Eight playoff series already, Miller. This will be his eighth playoff series. That's uh, pretty I, should good. should be a White Sox. Well, Might right. have been at home Let's... for the playoffs this year. but <sighs> Yes, yes, he should have been. I know. All right. All right. You can't let it go, can you, Carm? No, sometimes
3: I just can't. Mahomes, uh, you know, could, Mahomes is awesome. I can't let it go. I'm sorry. You know what? I would have settled. Sorry. I would have settled for uh, Bryce Harper too, if you want another left handed stick inside the Phillies lineup that could have been good on the south side. I'm
1: telling you, I know you felt it because you're a White Sox fan and a baseball fan. And I was Dude. texting some of my White Sox fans' friends like on Sunday. On Sunday, I'm like Wheeler, Harper, Machado, um, Tatis, uh, who's Tat- suspended. I
3: mean, well, yeah, I mean, I I wasn't. No, even no, thinking I, know, I don't even care. I don't. No, no, I know. Like, it's like, Harper, are you kidding Wheeler, me? Yes. Wheeler,
1: Schwarber, Machado. I'm like, I'm watching this series, and I'm like, what?
3: Like, how? Yes, are None of it, them
1: a sock, and like, they wanted maybe two and a half of them, and it was like, white socks. What, what could have been?
3: Yeah, it's, it's like staring you in the face in this NLCS. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely brutal. The the
1: most we're getting on the bid for by prop swap, by the way, is eighteen hundred and. The guys have drawn a line in the sand. They don't want to go below two thousand. Part of me is like, guys, eighteen hundred. You know, minus our bet, like we each pocket two hundred and seventy-five bucks. It's a nice, you know. Yeah, I
3: told you guys, you know. I,
1: you know. But these guys are like, no, let's let it ride. See, it's, it's, and I told get 2, you, 000. that's
3: where I hedge. And I, I'm looking at uh, betting the Astros and winning in four, winning in five, winning in six, and winning in seven. Yeah, and throwing a few shekels down on each of those. Uh, like, what, well, 20 comes, on each, 25 on yeah, each? whatever. On four, so it's like 100 bucks. So no matter what, you're walking away with, you know, minimum, from, yeah. you know, a couple hundred dollars. So if the
1: Phillies end up winning, our profit still is in the $600 Exactly. Range. That's how I would handle
3: it. Maybe we should. That way think you about walk that. away with. I mean, then here's the thing you guys can all choose to do it differently, however you want to play it out. But yeah. if someone wants to hedge,
1: we got to take another quick break. Uh, we'll get back on track here and back on the clock when we come back. More on the Bears, the NFL. three one two three three two three seven seven six. The daunting task that awaits as the Bears get ready to face Micah Parsons and that ferocious Dallas pass rush. I got some numbers, some good ones that we'll talk about coming up next.
0: See what Carmen and Yurko were talking about on, on Twitch. Twitch. Follow ESPN 1000 Chicago today. This is Carmen and Yurko on ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
1: Yorks off the rest of the week. Meller's in today and tomorrow. Peggy Kaczynski will join me live in Big D in Dallas. For Bears and Cowboys this Friday, we're going to be at the Twin Peaks in Irving, Texas, just north of LBJ Expressway on Marketplace Boulevard. Come by and see us there if you are going down to Dallas for the weekend. Can't wait to get down there with White Claw. And then Yurko and Peggy will do the postgame immediately after. Bears and Cowboys on Sunday. They're going to be at the Grand Prairie Twin Peaks location. We're live in our old National Bank State Street studio. Normal uh, pregame with you and Dion on we Sunday. Will, 9 we will be, be here 10, oh, ten ten to noon. Me. Yeah, and I'll
3: have your uh, fantasy football coverage from eight to nine a.m. Very good. So yeah, we'll get you hooked up for that. And then, uh, hey, you know what? What if you want to uh, hang out in Dave and Buster's on Tuesday? Oh yeah, good call. We got a pretty cool uh, station event. It's that like day. a whole
1: uh, station event for to kick off November. And yeah, like, baby. why are you kicking off November? Why not? I don't know. I mean, who says we can't? So we're gonna we're gonna be up north doing the shows. Not cap and hoodie, but uh, me and Yerk, and we'll be back. Both of us back from Dallas, recapping. Well, that's uh, Monday is the thirty first. Sorry, we're going to be there on
3: Tuesday. Tuesday, November first. Yeah, it's, it's a Tuesday. It's a post Halloween celebration on yeah, Tuesday. It's like,
1: isn't uh, November first technically a Dia de los Muertos? Isn't it? Uh, isn't that day the day of the, of the dead? dead. Is that you what are, they celebrate? I believe I believe you're November first. So come celebrate Dia de los Muertos. We're going to be at the Dave and Buster's up in. Lake Forest. Yes. So that's where we're going to do the show live. Waddle and Sylvia will follow us, Black and Abdallah, at night. Whole day of fun. I love Dave and Buster's. The kids love it. I mean, you give them those gift cards. You know, my, my I got to go deep into the pockets. The kids are
3: running around playing
1: every single game. I'm like, all right, go have Listen, some fun, man. guys.
3: Sometimes a little go entertain pe- yourselves. As, as a parent, sometimes a little peace of mind is worth the extra little uh, sc- scratch in the pocket. I like
1: it because you can sit there, and they've got great TV layouts, and you're right. You can have something to eat, have a cold beer. Watch some games, and your the kids are just off playing their own games. It's like okay, see you in an hour and a half.
3: Go ahead, and yeah, they're just and running it, around going nuts. So it, Dave and
1: Buster's in
3: Lake Forest on Tuesday, and it's not too often that you have a chance if you you know spend the whole day out there, hang out with virtually everyone, everyone from the station. So it'll be a cool event. Come on it out. Takes Waddle and Sylveon and Papa shot again.
1: Have a rematch after the uh, Tito's games. You can have
3: a catch with Waddle earlier. Just bring football, a football, and I catch. guarantee you he will be on I the, guarantee the other end you might you might even be able to try to cover him in like in a route if you ask it doesn't take much prodding waddles you, well if Since, that's hit at heart if that's your plan though you better get there early because if he's if he's gonna be doing that he'll blow out a hamstring that's fairly true. quickly in I'll so you, do they have the uh the game that we played when we did the ESPN Chicago games, where it was the four-sided air hockey. That was
1: so much fun. When
3: when Chris and I played with you and Yurko and did the four-sided air hockey. It was wild. I almost lost a a digit just because (laughs) you play with two pucks,
1: but it was fun. That was fun. I'm assuming Dave and Buster's does have that. We should look for it when we get up there next Tuesday. Bears are a a nine-and-a-half-point underdog. This line has sort of gone like nine... It was 10 again last night at one point. Nine, now it's 9.5 again. Look ahead line over the summer uh, when they were projecting out to week 8. Had the Cowboys as a 7.5 point favorite. So we'll talk to Furman tomorrow. I can't say when the line opened at about 9.5 after the Bears won Monday night. I'm too shocked at the two-point ad. I think just based on the Cowboys defense and some of the Bears struggles. Even though they've cleaned things up the last couple of weeks, Miller, mm-hmm. like they have. This Cowboy defense, I, I told you I'd give you some numbers. Like... We were talking about this to start the show. Um, First of all, Detroit's O-line, we told you, went in with the best adjusted sack rate in the NFL. They gave up five sacks. The Bears have the worst adjusted sack rate in the NFL, and nobody's even close. I mean, it's 15.9%. That's bad. The next worst team is Atlanta. At 9.9%. The Cowboys already have 29 sacks on the season. That puts them on pace. Yes, there's an extra game. I get it. These records are going to change as we go forward. There's going to be an 18th game soon. But it puts them on pace for 70 sacks. Three teams in NFL history have 70 sacks in a season. Three. 84 Bears. Bears. 87 Bears. 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 And the 89 Vikings. That's it. Not Bears. Not Bears. But Chris Dolman, who had like and Keith, Keith uh, Millard too, and I Keith believe. Millard, I think uh, you one hundred percent. Those are the only three teams ever. Um, if we were still playing a sixteen game season, they'd be on pace for sixty six sacks. The last team with more than sixty five in a season, the two thousand Saints. The last team with more than sixty, the two thousand six Chargers. So they're like sort of flirting with. Rarified air. Yeah. I mean, they have 29 sacks and 50. What do they have? They have 56 quarterback hits already. Like, that's a staggering number of pressures on the quarterback.
3: Yeah, no, and some Bears injury news that is not uh, going to help the situation. Lucas Patrick likely headed to the injured reserve. Oh, boy. Now, Maddie Raflew says they're still evaluating the injury, but obviously uh not going to be available. This Sunday, at the very least, I wouldn't think, if you're considering you. IR. And then Sam Mustafer will stay at center for the Bears. And
1: Michael Schofield will continue to play left guard mm-hmm. until Cody gets back. The, the um, It's been a rough go for Lucas Patrick. You think about the broken hand yep. and then really struggling sort of out of position. And now one game in as a start. I mean, what, a quarter and a half in? And he's maybe going back to IR. To- toe injuries are no joke. I don't know what it is. Is it a hyperextension? Is it turf toe? I don't know, but... I will say this, and Yurko says it all the time, like, don't poo-poo. Oh, how does an O-lineman have a toe injury? Toe injuries for athletes are devastating of injuries course. quite often. It, one of, a toe injury ended Jack Ham's career. I mean, it's no joke. And so not good news. No, and it's in
3: an injury too. Where if you, yeah, if you can't run properly, like yeah. forget it. There's just you, you know, trying to gut it, gutting it out isn't even no, on the table because, as you just pointed out, like first of all, Lucas Patrick needs to get out there and prove that even healthy he is. You know, the player that they thought they were signing in free agency. And now if you're compromised, that doesn't help the situation. One piece of somewhat good news, Byron Pringle has entered the 21-day period where he'll begin practice where they can bring him back from injury reserve. So that would be helpful if he could come back for the Bears, give them another option at receiver. Be
1: nice considering, you know, they didn't uh, draft a wide re- – oh, wait, they did. We just don't see him on the field very often. I'm going to ask Courtney more about that. I keep pressing her every week about Bayless Jones and his limited – Snap count. I mean, they barely used him again. I know. Well, not I... a good sign. I, uh, so we'll talk to Courtney about that in like fifteen. We'll grab some of your calls coming up next. Thoughts on the Bears? How do they do this going into Big D? Can they pull another stunning upset, or is the defense going to be too much for them to handle this weekend? Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Mellers in for Yurko. We'll be right back.
0: Listening to Carmen and Yurko
2: on Chicago's Home for Sports,
0: ESPN 1000. Don't miss a minute of Carmen and Yurko. Tell your smart speaker to play ESPN ESPN 1000. Courtney Cronin at one.
1: Talk about the latest uh, on Lucas Patrick's injury, Valus Jones. We're going to start to finally see him have a little bit more usage in games. What are they not seeing maybe in practice? I don't know. It's kind of crazy. Uh, tall task this week against the Cowboys in Dallas. Tall task just because that defense is really, really good, and Dan Quinn I think is really, really good. I think their head coach is. I mean, they might save him, Meller, just by Oof. you know, just by the nature of having a decent ten or eleven. You know, it'd be a good. I shouldn't say decent. They go out and win eleven games. That's good. They'll make the playoffs. They look like
3: they're going to be a playoff team based on the strength of that defense. But, but. If, if you're Jerry Jones and you're assessing whether or not you want to bring back Mike McCarthy, the way it ended last year for them in the playoffs isn't a lot of what happens with Mike McCarthy going to be maybe. determined based on this playoff. Maybe you're right about as well that. if assuming they get there. You know what I mean? Like maybe you're right. It, it ended so poorly against the Niners last year. I want to tell you, we can talk
1: more about that during the one o'clock hour a little bit about and just some other coaching observations. Or everybody wants to know where Sean Payton's going to go, and I I was. Floating a theory around uh, with you guys mm-hmm. up in the office, I want to maybe bring that to the air. We can talk about that after 1 o'clock. Scott's in Aurora on ESPN 1000. What's going on, Scott? What's up, Karen? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. How you doing? Not too bad. Hey, Jeff. What's um, up, Scotty?
3: I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the only one that's seeing this, and I don't have the actual you know throws, but it seems like a lot of times that
2: Justin's going to the right side of the end zone The throws seem to sail on him a little bit more. It seems like the throws to the left side of the end zone are a little more
3: accurate. I I don't know if I'm just missing it or if that's just kind of what I'm remembering in my head. I didn't write it down. I'm just kind of thinking about that. It just seems like the right side is a little bit of a a trouble spot.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we could go start looking at some of the tracking data on that, Scott. I mean, you you might be that might be some recency bias based on the throw that probably wasn't the best throw to Mooney when he was going towards the pylon in the game on Monday night. And Aikman did a good job saying, all right, that's a throw that really needs to have a little bit more. Yeah. It was under it. Let your receiver get to it. It was very flat. I don't know if he's got a trail like Mitch couldn't go left. I mean, that's well-documented kid I- like Zoolander
3: can, can, can Justin not go right. I don't know. I don't, I would say this too. Once you've reached this level, every quarterback has a preference. Most quarterbacks prefer to go if they're rolling or whatever. Sure. They prefer to go to that side. That doesn't mean that you can't be effective as an NFL quarterback. You know, the truth is that I think Waddle has been on this for a while now. Like he, if he hits the layups that are in front of him and then right. in conjunction with what we saw from Luke Getsey this past Monday night, I got to be honest, Carm, I was stunned. Yeah. I, like in terms of having a low bar entering a game for the bears, I was, it was on the ground for me. You know what I mean? Like, so all they had to do was step over, and I would have been impressed. But I was I, I was not expecting the performance that they put on against the Patriots. I, when Belichick had an opportunity to go ahead and move past George Halas on Monday Night Football, I thought for sure he was going to come up with some things that were going to confuse Justin Fields. And to Luke Getzey and Matt Iroflus' credit, they surprised Bill Belichick and his defense with yeah. something that they had not seen on tape. And the Bears, I'm... I have a renewed sense of confidence in this coaching staff that I didn't know I could get to as quickly as I did because I was just so stunned by what they did on Monday night. Now, listen, it could all go away very quickly if it's a complete clunker against Dallas and they're not doing some design runs. But why would they do that? At that point, that would seem silly. I think they've tapped into something where I'm very encouraged with what. The possibilities could be with Justin uh,
1: I think you put it uh, well there that they probably tapped into something that they'll continue to go to now. There's still going to have to be other counters and wrinkles off those things. The league catches on pretty quick normally. Mm-hmm. And I think Dan Quinn will be, I'm sure they're spending a lot of time this week preparing and looking at, okay, how did the Bears go in on Monday night and embarrass a pretty good franchise? Yes. That's what they did. I mean, they dominated them in just about every facet of the game. And so I would imagine that they are going to have to be a few new added wrinkles, but it's what good... I don't know how good they're ultimately going to be. I really don't. I hope it works. I hope the Bears aren't looking for a coach in two or three years. But what good coaches and good organizations do with extra time to prepare is what the Bears just did. And that, I agree with you, is a positive sign. You, you, It's it's very easy. The easiest way, maybe, to look at, like, who's a good coach in the NFL and what makes him a good coach and why? Go look at coaches like Andy Reid yep, and off Belichick. Bye. Real, yep. Off of a buy or with extra time. Go look at their records. Go look at Tomlin's record, Andy Reid's record, Mike Shanahan's record when he coached. Go look at their records with extra time to prepare. Tell me what you see. Those
3: are what make them good coaches. And we live in the. It's very easy to live in the moment, game by game, to overreact to what's happening. But for perspective, Luke Getzey also is a first-time play caller, right? right? So everything he's doing, he's doing it for the first time as well. And so. I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, like uh, Mar- Marcus Spears, we were talking about this on Waddle and Sylvie yesterday, was, was crushing Luke Getze yesterday mm. after the performance that was put on. Like, hey, really, you needed someone to tell you to run some design plays with Justin Fields? Well, no, he didn't need anyone to tell him that. But also, he's a first-time play caller. Right. And so he's designing an offense that he's molding Clay as he goes along here, right? And so I'm encouraged by the fact that that they were able to pull you know if the, if the plane was in the, the nose was down they pulled it up after you know a mini buy yeah. and we'll see what happens but it's encouraging to see it unlike the previous play caller who Never seemed yeah, to know, like no. after four years, never seemed to know which direction to go. There were no adjustments. Go look at his record out of the bye. It was terrible. So, you know, I'm taking and, and the optimistic view. It, they don't have to go on a run here and, you know, stay in the hunt. As long as I see some development from Justin Fields, the most important aspect on your roster, I'm encouraged right now. So I, I, I have nothing but overwhelming positivity after I win against the Patriots. Yeah, it,
1: was a good, it was a good win Monday night. It really was. Andy's in Lombard. What's up, Andy?
2: Hi, guys. I like your show. Um, Just had a question. Um, You know, nobody really thinks the Bears are going to win against Dallas, or most people. But let's say they actually do play like they did in New England and they actually win. Do you think that the front office and, and, you know, the Bears in general, would would they change their attitude? Would they try to go all in? Would they actually try to make a move for a wide receiver or another offensive lineman? Or would they just kind of continue? On the development.
1: Thanks, Andy. Um, Thanks for the the call, Andy.
3: I don't think there's any. We're going to shift now and go all in. I don't think there's any of that. There's, I I do. No. Based on what we heard from Ryan Poles, that would be not in line with what he's done to this point. Nope.
1: I think they've got a big picture plan here, and they're going to kind of stick to it. They'll take wins. They'll take improvement. They'll take staying in the hunt. They want all those things. It's kind of like the 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 Giants. I mean, you uh, Joe Shane, and the, they they didn't expect this. No. They, they, I mean, they, they now will they take it? Sure. And it's a good sign that their coach appears to be the right coach and the play caller there with him, Mike Kafka. Uh, I'm sure Dave all's mostly calling the plays, but that Kafka's there and that they're they're doing a good job. They'll take all that, but they're not altering their big picture plans. Nor should they. I mean, but... No, of
3: course not. And I don't think the Bears will either. But I do think explore like, you know, I think you've brought this up, you know, someone like DJ Moore, right? Yeah. Now, he's a guy who would fit in for the long term, right? So maybe making a, or having a conversation about somebody like that who's under contract at a manageable number, that's where you'd say, okay, is this something that we should explore a little bit more, not only to help us in the future, but also to give us a little bit of help this year? Right. Maybe that conversation becomes a little bit more real with a win in Dallas because all of a sudden then they're four and four. Uh, if they win in Dallas and you have to be saying to yourself, OK, you just beat one of the better teams in the NFC. Maybe the playoffs aren't out of reach here without going crazy. Um, I just don't know that there's going to be that much of a shift
1: and maybe adding someone like DJ Moore wouldn't be considered Jerry Judy going crazy. Jerry Judy's interesting.
3: He's not, you know, there's conversation that uh, he could be available. He's a because- guy you're going to have to pay, though, right? Or no. Well, he's. A, I believe he's in his third year. Third year, so, yeah. yeah. And he was so a first round pick, so you have a fifty year so option, well. option on him as well. DJ Moore's got a nice, kind of a nice he does. contract. He does. Sort of. The question would be: Have you seen enough from Jerry Judy? Where you would, or have you seen enough that you dislike about Jerry Judy? Where you wouldn't want to necessarily give. I don't know. Up whatever price the Broncos are asking. I don't know.
1: I tell you, the Bears win Sunday. I'm not sure that they will either, but uh, I will all be pumping the brakes a little bit. But if the Bears win Sunday afternoon, Green Bay's got to play in Buffalo Sunday night. I mean. We, know, well, Green Bay could fall to th- what? That would drop Green Bay to a three. No, five, I know, right? But, but my,
3: the- my 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 sights are set on the Vikings. What are the Vikings well, I just doing mean
1: right in now. In terms of like, you yeah. know, I don't think anybody probably would catch the Vikings in this division. Believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying that. Like, if the Packers were to lose again this weekend, the Vikings come off by, and if they win, like, I doubt anybody's going to catch them then. And then you're just talking about like more of where you are in the end of it's kind of it's wild that we're even that's this speaks more about the the NFC the NFC right sure. now uh, Matt Nagy off of the buy over four mm. that's all you need to know folks we'll be right back in two minutes.